When I was processing into the army, there was an old soldier processing out of the army. He had served his time and he was kind of in the process of, of leaving. Um, and so the army gave him the wonderful job of guiding recruits around as they processed into the army. It was just kind of that last one last bad uh, bad detail to be put on before he got out for good. Uh, one day, he'd been a, he was a Vietnam veteran, and one day when somebody in our group had fallen asleep at a time when they were supposed to be awake, and he had kind of waking him up rather gently and decided to tell us a story about the importance of staying awake uh, when you're supposed to be awake. And what he told us was that in Vietnam, one of the issues that American soldiers faced was dealing with what the North Vietnamese army or the or the Vietnamese soldiers did to them. Now, this wasn't necessarily combat like in, in shooting at one another. But he said that one of the things that they would do that left a, a long lasting negative impression upon American soldiers was that during the night, if the Vietnamese were patrolling through the jungles and they found a an American soldier who was supposed to be on guard asleep, that rather than just kill him, they would sneak by him and they would go in and find the find the soldiers he was supposed to be guarding. And they would then silently kill them in one way or another, and then they would just leave. Well, eventually the man would wake up from falling asleep on guard duty, go to wake up the next person who was supposed to be on duty, and realize what had happened. And he said many of them never recovered um, from knowing that, that those men had died because they had fallen asleep on guard duty. I think Satan does something similar to the church in our day. But if he can catch us asleep when we're supposed to be awake, then he can sneak by and he can do all sorts of things around us that he normally would not be able to do. Now, for the most part, I think far too often we are reactionary where Satan and his schemes are concerned. What often seems to happen is we live and pray and just generally go through life as though we're not always at all times involved in a spiritual battle. And then either suddenly the battle is upon us or somebody we know becomes a casualty in the spiritual battle. And when that comes, we're reminded of what we're involved in. We're reminded of we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against evil spiritual forces. And so we start to pray and we start to try to fight back against what Satan is doing. But what if what if we're meant to be proactive in our intercession rather than reactive? What if rather than waiting until something bad happens, we're meant to, to be always on guard and always on prayer and always calling out to God to intercede for those around us. Well, let's see what the Bible has to say. Isaiah 62, verse 6, should be page 565 in the Pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Just two verses, Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. On your walls, Jerusalem, I have appointed a watchman. I have appointed watchmen all day and all night. They will never keep silent. You who profess the Lord, take no rest for yourselves. 
and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem an object of praise on the earth. Title of the, the lesson tonight, and this is our monthly prayer service and connecting it with our study in prophet Isaiah. And, and the title of it is Praying as a Watchman. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you tonight. You're great and glorious. You're wonderful and worthy. We are, again, very thankful for the opportunity we have to gather. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for your word that, that guides us. Father, we don't have to guess about your will. We don't have to guess about what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do. Uh, we, we know you have shown it to us through your word. You have revealed your will and your ways and your wants to us. How blessed we are to be able to hold your word in our hands. Not just hold it in our hands, but hold it in our language. And not even just hold it in our hands and in our language, but in our preferred translation. What blessing is ours to have your word in so many different translations in our native language. Let us never take that for granted. Let us always realize that to whom much is given, much has been required. Father, guide us tonight as we look to see what it means to pray as watchmen in our community. Let Holy Spirit come and let Him fill me that I would have clarity of thought and clarity of speech and I could speak Your words and Your ways for Your glory. But let Holy Spirit come and let Him work in all of our hearts through the Word. Let Him take it and make it living and active in our lives. Let Him take it and use it to, to plow up the fallow ground of our hearts so that Your Word would sink deep down and bring forth good fruit for Your glory. Let Holy Spirit spur us to be intercessors. Spur us to be watchmen who live according to what You have revealed to us in this passage. Let Holy Spirit work to make us to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Father, as we pray and as we intercede, let us see your hand at work. And let our, our seeing, our knowing what you're doing, let it spur greater love and greater devotion. Let it spur greater faith and greater prayers. Let us be a people who say as the psalmist, I love the Lord. Because he hears and answers my prayers. And because he hears and answers my prayers. I will pray all the more. Work this in our life. Do it because we want to be who you want us to be. And we want to do what you want us to do. We ask you to do these things. Because of what Christ has done for us. Amen. Which may be seated. Now it was common in this day for every city to have a watchman, at least one watchman on the walls, on duty at all time. Now, the watchman's job was what the name implies. It was a person who watched. They would stand um, on the wall in a place where they would have the most strategic view surrounding the city. Now, if the, if the city had four walls, typically there would be one on each wall and he would stand on the spot on the wall where he could see the furthest out. Uh, and see what was going on. The, the goal, the primary job of the watchman was to watch for the approach of an enemy army. 
He had a, a trumpet that he kept with him. And when the army approached, as soon as he saw it, his job was to blow the trumpet loud and long to let the people in the city know there was impending danger. It warned the people there was danger to come. It warned the soldiers to rally up and grab their armor. Uh, it warned the, the noblemen that they needed to, to take care of their people and do what needed to be done. The watchmen knew that an attack was always possible. Anytime, day or night, it was possible somebody would attack them. The watchman also knew that not only was it possible, it was likely even probable. You've read the Old Testament. You know that was a time of a lot of wars. Nation was going to city, going to war against nation all the time. It was highly likely somebody was going to attack them at some point. Their job was to warn the city before the attack happened. They would have been a pretty poor watchman to wait until the army was beating on the front door trying to get through and then to sound the alarm. They stayed alert their entire shift. They kept their eyes peeled. They didn't fall asleep. They didn't take naps. They didn't piddle on their phones. They watched so that they could see an enemy coming as soon as they could and they could cry out and shout the alarm as soon as possible. What God is describing in this passage, though, as watchmen on the walls, isn't physical watchmen, though. It's spiritual watchmen. Right? The watchmen in this passage are intercessors. Right? Look at how they're described. They never keep silent. Right? All day and all night, they never keep silent. They take no rest for themselves. And they give God no rest. Until he fulfills his promise regarding Jerusalem. What a great picture of an intercessor. Someone who cries out all day and all night. Someone who doesn't take a day off from interceding. Someone who cries out to God for God to do what he has said he would do. Now notice who is supposed to be an intercessor. It says at the end of verse 6. You who profess the Lord. That's what my Bible says. Other translations say it in different ways. You who speak His name, I think some say. But what it's saying is, if you are saying Yahweh is your God, this is for you. For us, we would say, if you say you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is for you. Every disciple of Jesus is meant to be a watchman. We're physical watchmen. Cry out to the people about impending danger. Spiritual watchmen cry out to God on behalf of the people who are facing the impending danger. Again, this to me is a great picture of intercessory prayer. Crying out to God on behalf of others. In this case, they would be crying out to people who didn't see the danger happening. They didn't see the danger coming. Right. And, and that's largely as disciples of Jesus. We we know things our unbelieving friends and family don't. We believe things our unbelieving friends and family don't. We know what God says about reaping what you've sown, about the wages of sin, eternal judgment, salvation coming through faith alone, through grace alone and Jesus alone. And we know every person living in sin, every person rebelling against God, every person who has not submitted their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, 
they are in danger whether they know it and feel it or not. And so as God's watchmen, we are crying out to God on their behalf. Lord, they're ignorant of their danger. And we're asking Him to do things in them and through them for them to save them from the danger to come. Now, since this is for all of us, we want to know how are we supposed to be watchmen. From this passage, I think there are three ways that we live out our calling to be God's watchmen in our community. The first is to embrace the responsibility of a watchman. Now, notice it says, God says, I have appointed watchmen. So these weren't necessarily people who took it upon themselves. This was God placed them there. God appointed them to that task. God, they were where where God wanted them to be for the explicit purpose of being his watchman. They weren't there by random chance and circumstance. It was divine design that placed them there so they could cry out to God on behalf of the people. What about us? Are we where we are? Through random chance and circumstance, or are we where we are by divine design? And I think we should see that in kind of all areas of our life. Are we in Gaiman by random chance and circumstance, or are we in Gaiman by divine design? Are we where we are in relationally with people by random chance and circumstance? Or by God's divine design? Are we in the sphere of influence, our our jobs and our hobbies and the people we encounter by random chance and circumstance? Or are we there by divine design? Well, I believe we are where we are at all aspects of our lives. Not by random chance and circumstance, but by God's divine design. And if I had a lot of time, I could show you all through God's word why I believe this is the case. But I'll just tell you one story from the book of Esther. We're familiar with the book of Esther. Through what seems to be a a random series of, of circumstances, a young, attractive Jewish girl finds herself married to the most powerful king in the world. Was she there? By random chance and circumstance, or was it something more? Well, what, what's the most famous statement from the book that her uncle Mordecai shares with her? Who knows? You have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther becoming queen just at the time Haman begins to raise up these troubles and seeks to eradicate the Jews was not a coincidence. It wasn't good luck. It wasn't, wow, that's an amazing set of events that led to her to be able to spare her own people. No, it wasn't that. It all happened by divine design. So God could work through Esther to deliver his people for his glory. It is important for us to understand we are where we are by divine design. As disciples of Jesus, we are not where we are in any facet of our life by random chance and circumstance. 
We are where we are because God has chosen to place us where we are so that he could best work through us to accomplish his will in the world. God has appointed us where we are so we can be his watchmen on the walls, crying out to him on behalf of others. And the first part of being a watchman is accepting that responsibility. Is saying, it is my job to cry out to God on behalf of these people. It is my job to intercede on their behalf. When we think about embracing our role as a watchman, think about the various areas of our lives. Our, again, I've mentioned this, our families, our church family, our community, our country, our, our mission, right? the Church has a mission to make disciples of all nations. And the mission is is local. It's to the neighborhoods. It it is statewide. We have a mission to our state. It is nationwide. We have a mission to our nation. It is international. We have a mission to the nations. And in all of these areas, we have a part to play as watchmen. To cry out to God on behalf of those who either need our help or those who do not know the danger they're in. And once we accept and embrace our responsibility to be watchmen, we must then pray without ceasing. Notice the way the watchmen cry out. All day and all night, they never keep silent. They take no rest for themselves and they give God No rest. Instead of being silent, instead of taking their own rest, and instead of giving God rest, they cry out to God all day and all night until God fulfills His promises regarding Jerusalem. Now that's a great picture of praying without ceasing. Now when I talk about praying without ceasing, I'm not saying we're praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's not a possibility. However, the picture painted in this passage, refusing to keep silent, taking no rest for ourselves, giving God no rest until He keeps His promises. Surely that's more than a quick prayer in the morning and going about our day and never doing it again. Now, there are many ways that we can pray without ceasing. We can make sure that we're not keeping silent, that we're giving God no rest. We're taking no rest for ourselves. One is a very simple one, and that is just to have a regular time of prayer every single day. I won't spend a lot of time on that, but I would say that is a that is where really it all needs to start. Having a regular time of prayer every single day is a spiritual discipline that cannot be overstated in its importance. But once we do that, or as we're doing that, we could also set alarms to remind ourselves when to pray and how to pray throughout the day. I talk on Sunday mornings about the 9.35 in the morning, 9.35 in the evening. For me, I have those two set. I have an alarm set for 10.02 to send for God to raise up and send people out into our community. 
Uh, Luke 10 to it's based upon that. And 1040 uh, is based upon praying for the unreached. I pray for the unreached uh, of the day from the Joshua Project at 1040 every day. That helps me to remember to, to intercede, to know that I'm a watchman on the walls in these ways. We can set those alarms. You don't have to do what I've done, but you can set some. We can pray as we drive or as we walk around town. Now, I read a book years ago on prayer walking. It's a great book. And one chapter gave ideas about how to, to use regular objects that you see as you go around your town to kind of spur yourself to pray. And ideas were neat. I had never thought along those lines, so I took some of them. I've made some of my own. And so when I, when I prayer walk, I don't often do this when I drive around, but when I prayer walk, I'll use things like this, like I see a street light. I pray for God to, to make our church a light that shines in the darkness. When I walk around the, the track over here, I'll see a bench. And I'll pray for God to make our church a place where the weary can find rest. When I see a fire hydrant, I'll, I'll pray that God would let our church be a place where people experience the living water of Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus. When I see buildings being built or remodeled, I pray for God to let lives be changed by Jesus and all of our services. If I hear a loud noise like a horn honking or something along those lines, I'll pray for God to make us as a church bold, shouting forth the gospel in our community. I'll look at prayer lines and I'll pray for, for the power of the Holy Spirit to always be evident in our services. See a water fountain and I'll pray that our church would be a place where people could come and, and be refreshed. You get the idea. There's just no limit to the different ways you can let things work. One way, and I didn't put it in my notes because I wasn't sure I was going to say it, but I, thought, I think I'll go ahead and say it. One way I, I prayed is I was walking around and there was, I almost stepped in, in, a, in a mess a dog made on the, on the track over there. And, and I prayed, God, let us be a people who are willing to get involved in the messiness of other people's lives. You know, because if you get out to help people, it's a messy thing. Right? So anything that we see can literally spur us to pray in one way or another. We can pray as we shop. We go through Walmart. We see people. We pray for them. We don't know what's going on, but better than average chance, something's going on. We can pray God's blessings upon them. Right? We don't have to pray specifically. But we can memorize a, a blessing or two out of the Bible. Right? Lord, bless them and keep them. Make your face shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance upon them and, and give them your peace. Lord, let, let your grace and peace rest upon that person today. Right? I mean, we're praying. That's God's word. That is God's will. We can pray that for them. Pray for churches as you drive past. The, the churches in Gaiman aren't our enemy. They're not our competition. Pray God would bless them. Pray that they would see souls saved and lives changed. Download prayer apps. There's all manner of prayer apps, too, that I like. Um, is the unreached of the day from the Joshua Project and the open doors that talks about praying for the, the persecuted church. Things that I would not see just going through my day. As, you go through our, as we go through our days, there are plenty of opportunities to pray. Now these prayers don't have to be long prayers. The great Baptist pastor Charles Spurgeon talked about breath prayers. And prayers that are short prayers breathed out to God at various times throughout the day. They aren't long. They aren't in depth. We aren't really 
wrestling with God at that time, but their prayers, nonetheless, these breath prayers are ways for us to never keep silent, to take no rest for ourselves, to give God no rest until He intervenes in in people's lives. So we embrace our responsibility as watchmen. We pray without ceasing. And then thirdly, we pray big, bold prayers. Notice what the watchmen do. They give God no rest until He establishes and makes Jerusalem an object of praise on the earth. I mean, that seems to me to be a a mighty big prayer. He's praying. But what he's praying really, in, in essence, is that God would do something so big in Jerusalem that it would be established. And when people saw Jerusalem or thought of Jerusalem or heard of Jerusalem, they would praise God. Wouldn't that be something if what God did in Gaiman, something so big in Gaiman, so massive, such a great move that when people heard about what was going on in Gaiman, when people thought about Gaiman, when people drove around Gaiman, they just praised the Lord for what He's doing. That, that's the kind of big, bold kind of prayer that, that God is talking about here. Lots of examples in God's Word of people who prayed big, bold prayers. We can think about Joshua calling on the sun to stand still right in front of all the people. That's, that's pretty big. We can think about Abraham. Abraham as an intercessor pleading with God not to destroy Sodom. Now to me, that's one of my favorite examples of intercessory prayer because Abraham, in, in a lot of ways, argued with God. If you think about it, right? Because what was going to happen? God's like, I'm going to go down there just to make sure they're as bad as I think, and I'm going to kill them all. And Abraham was like, um, surely the God of all the earth will do what's right. I mean, you wouldn't destroy the righteous with the wicked, would you? I mean, what if there were 50 righteous people in, in Sodom and Gomorrah? Surely you wouldn't kill the righteous and the wicked, and God would be like, okay, okay, if there's 50, I won't do it. And then Abraham would say, okay, now, Lord, don't get mad, but, but what if there's only like five short of 50? Surely you wouldn't kill 45 righteous people. Along with the wicked, would you? And God would say, okay, if there's 45 righteous, I'll I'll, I'll hold my hand. And and Abraham just keeps pressing his luck. And and one of the things that you see as you read through this is is God doesn't get angry. right? God doesn't, there's not a point where God's like, that's enough. I'm going down there to kill them and you can't change my mind. It's not what happens. Why? Because... In other places in God's word, it tells us God wants to be merciful. Think about in Ezekiel, where it says that that Israel had sinned and they were doing all of these bad things. And he looked for somebody to be standing in the gap, to be making up the hedge, to be interceding for them. Because what he was doing was he was looking for a reason not to pour out his judgment. But not finding anyone interceding for them. Well, judgment came. Listen, contrary to what the world wants us to believe, our God is not like angry, wrath-filled, just looking for an opportunity to smite people. He is kind. and He is merciful. And He is gracious. And He is loving. And very often, people are spared His wrath, His just deserved wrath, because others are crying out to God. 
on their behalf. How many times? How many times did God spare Israel because Moses cried out, please don't, Lord. It's now our prayers, our big, bold prayers for God to move in people's lives. Truly, legitimately, may be the only reason the wrath of God is not falling upon them. So we should pray big, bold prayers for God to do big, bold things, things he has promised he would do. So what I want us to do is I want us to take a few minutes and just pray where we are and pray as watchmen. And maybe the first thing we need to do in this prayer is just tell God, I accept my responsibility to be a watchman. Here I am, Lord, reporting for duty. I'm on the wall. I'm not going to keep silent. I'm not going to take a day off. And I'm not going to give you any rest until you do the things you said you would do. So let's take a few minutes and let's pray. Father, I love you today. Thank you for your grace and your goodness for all that you've given and done. Thank you for the time that we have together. Lord, I I repent. I repent of the times I've not been the watchman I'm supposed to be. Times when I've kept silent. Times when I've given myself rest. The times when I have not cried out to you on behalf of others. I acknowledge that sin and I repent of it today. Father, I come reporting for duty. I accept the responsibility. It's your watchman. I know that you've placed me here for such a time as this. Holy Spirit, help me. To remember that I am God's watchman. Help me to think, to pray as I go out and about. From this point on, let me be a person who never keeps silent. Who never takes a day off. And who gives God no rest till we see his promises fulfilled in the lives of those we're interceding for. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Another question we need to ask as we seek to be God's watchman is why? Why should God answer 
our prayer. Have you ever thought about that? Why should God answer our prayer and do what we're asking him to do? I thought about that. And many times I believe our reasoning is flawed. I think it's flawed because as people, our, our default is to be a self-focus. We, we focus on ourselves or we focus on some sort of meritorious service that we think that we have. So I think for many of us, if we were just really honest about why God should answer our prayer, our reasoning would be because I'm the one who prayed it. Or if we're praying for God to to deliver someone or to save someone or to heal someone or to work in someone's life, why should God answer that? Because they deserve it for some reason or another. The reality is God isn't as passionate about our self-focus or our perceived merit as we are. However, when you do look in God's word, we we do find there are certain things God is passionate about. I heard a sermon on this and the guy called them the the known passions of God. And he said that when we connect our prayers to the known passions of God, we we begin to see things happen. That's where we begin to experience the power of God. Now, the known passions of God are things that we see repeatedly throughout God's word. Something that we see as as a theme over and over and over again. Old Testament, New Testament, and all throughout God's word. We see these things and we can legitimately say these things are seen so often and said so much that God sure seems to be passionate about it. So what are some of the known passions of God? And that's kind of, we're going to go through this really quickly. You've got a handout that does it. You can study the passages out. But one, God is passionate for His glory. From the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name shall be great among the nations. And in every place, every place where? Every place where the sun rises and every place where the sun sets. Frankincense is going to be offered in my name, a grain offering that is pure, for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of armies. So one of the things that we see all throughout God's word is God is very passionate for his glory. God knows he is worthy of praise and glory. So as we pray, Maybe if we try to, what we're trying to do is find a way to connect our prayer to a known passion of God. God is passionate for His glory. So how will God answering this prayer bring glory to His name? Right? How is this prayer going to glorify God? Not us, not somebody else, but how will it glorify God as God does what we're crying out for Him to do? God is passionate for the holiness of His people. All throughout the Old Testament, one of the things God says is don't be like the people in the land that you're around. Be different. And and in the New Testament, we're told as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust in which were yours and your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy 
yourselves and all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So God is passionate for for his people. Now, this is his people. This isn't this isn't for the lost. This is for those who are who would profess to be faith, faith, have faith in Jesus. So how would if God answered this prayer, how would it produce holiness among his people? Right? You see what you're doing? You're, you're trying to say, here's something God is passionate about. Here's what I'm praying about. God, here's how I think this would bring holiness to your people. Cause them to reflect who you are and what you're like. God is passionate for purity in His church. This is a similar thing. Um, I won't spend time on it, but just, just understand. God is passionate for the holiness, the purity of His church. How would God answering this prayer... Whatever this prayer is, produce a purity of His church in our community or wherever. God is passionate to keep His covenant. Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps His covenant and His faithfulness to a thousand generations for those who love Him and those who keep His commandments. For as many as the promises of God are in Him, in Jesus, they are yes, and therefore through Him, Jesus, they are also amen to the glory of God through us. Now, God made a covenant with the people in the Old Testament. He said, if you do these things, I'll do these things. And God was passionate about keeping His covenant. He wanted them to know He was a covenant-keeping God. That if He said He would do it, He would do it. Well, you and I, as disciples of Jesus, we are no less in covenant than the Old Testament people of Israel were. Our covenant, though, is through faith in Christ. And Jesus has become the yes and the amen to all of God's covenant promises to us. So maybe what we look for is what is a way. This is something I really need God. A way I'm interceding. I'm crying out. What is a promise God has given about doing something like this? God, your word says this is what you do. Your word says this is how you act. Lord, you've promised to do this. Lord, you are passionate about keeping your covenant. This is your covenant with us as your people. Do what you have said you would do. How how does this prayer, how does it connect with God's passion to keep his word, to do what he said he would do? God is passionate to extend his love. I, I use this verse because it's an Old Testament verse. In the Old Testament, God said, I have loved you with an everlasting love and I have drawn you. And some translations say with loving kindness. The the word used there has a wide variety of translations. Loving kindness being my favorite. So the God of the Old Testament has loved people with an everlasting love and he drew people to himself with loving kindness. He wanted them to know he loved them. So God, how? Well, and of course, we could go to the New Testament about while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that was God's ultimate demonstration of his love. So God doesn't just love you and I as disciples of Jesus. He loves unbelievers as well. We know that because Jesus died for sinners. So how how would this prayer, God answered this prayer, how would it extend his love to people who did not know God loved them? Or how would God answering this prayer, how would it cause somebody who struggles to believe God loved them to be certain that God loved them? But how does this prayer extend his love to people who need to know it? 
God is passionate to see sinners repent. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I love that passage, all the whole passage. And basically what it says is this. If God were not merciful, He would just kill people the moment they sin. But He doesn't do that. And if God just wanted to send people to hell, He could come back and bring the world to a close right now and every unbeliever on the planet would be consigned to hell. But He doesn't do that. Why? He's patient. He's long-suffering. He doesn't want people to perish. He wants them to come to repentance. So how would God answering this prayer bring a sinner to repentance? How would God answering this prayer bring about this person to come to know Him as their Lord and as their Savior? God is passionate about His relationship with His people. So this one deals... With sinners, God being passionate about saying sinners repent. This one is God is passionate about His relationship with us. For you shall not worship other gods, because the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. God is jealous about His relationship with you. The the New Living Translation translates that. It said He is passionate about His relationship with you. God calls on us. We're invited to come closer to God and He will come closer to us. So as we pray a prayer, how does this, how would what we're praying, if God answered this prayer, how would it draw people closer to Him? How would it draw His people to love Him more, to experience Him more, to have a deeper, closer relationship with Him? Right? How does our request connect to this known passion of God? God is passionate for the nations to praise Him. Psalm 96 is all about the nation's Praising God. We know in Revelation 7, 9, that there will be a day when there will be a great multitude around the throne of God. And they will be from every nation and all the tribes and all the peoples and all the languages. And they will be clothed in white robe with palm branches in their hands, worshiping the Lord. So if, how would God answer? If God were to answer this prayer, how would it lead to the nations praising him? God is passionate for people to know He is the Lord. This passage in Exodus is repeated over and over and over again. They will know that I am the Lord. The psalmist prayed it this way. For God to put them in fear. Make the nations know they, they are but humans. So, how would, how would God answering this prayer cause someone to know He is the Lord? The one Lord. The ruler over all things. Now these are just some of the known passions of God. And we just quickly went through them. But when we connect our prayers to God's passions. We are much more likely to experience God's power. However, let me be clear on this. God is not a genie and prayer is not magic. And what that means is I cannot pray. God, do this thing that I really want so that you'll be glorified. And because I've tacked at the end, God, you'll be glorified onto it. Now he's passionate about doing it. Truly, I have to want it for God's glory. And again, 
genies and magic are all about manipulation through using the right words. God and prayer does not operate that way. God knows our hearts. God isn't listening to our words. He knows our hearts. So if we're praying, God, do this because I deserve it. And I really think I'm awesome. And what we say out loud, though, is because you would be glorified. We haven't fooled God. We haven't manipulated God. We haven't done anything. So part of knowing the known passions of God is to be sure we become passionate about those things. To be sure, we are passionate about God's glory. We are passionate about God extending His love. We are passionate about holiness among His people, purity in His church. We are passionate about people knowing He is the Lord. We are passionate about God being worshipped among the nations. Because as we connect our hearts and our minds to the known passions of God, and we begin to pray out of that, that is when we begin to greatly experience the power of God Through our prayers. When our prayers are genuinely connected to God's passions. It is. It is because. Our hearts. Are knit together with God. And his passions are becoming. Our passions. And that's where we want to be. We want to be in a place where we are as passionate about the things that God is passionate about. How great it is to see God work in us and through us and for us in such a way that what we know to be His passions start to become our passions. Because our hearts and our minds and our desires beginning are beginning to sync up with Him. God says here in Isaiah, for watchmen not to keep their peace, And not to keep silent. To give God no rest and to take no rest for themselves until God fulfills his promises. In the Old Testament, most often, God's watchman fell short of what he wanted. Some rare instances, there were even times where there were no watchmen. Other times, the watchmen were blind And ignorant, the Bible says. Let us together tonight determine. We will be God's watchmen in Gaiman. And by God's grace and through the help of God's spirit. We will always pray as watchmen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your goodness. Help us to be your watchmen. Let your passion become our passions and let us connecting our prayers to your passions be a natural way we pray. Because we are so synced up to you, so close to you that we want what you want, that we're passionate about what you're passionate about. Do this work in our lives, we ask in Jesus name for his sake. Amen.